Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. In this month's UK Roundtable, we discuss how the UK's small and medium-sized businesses are having to adapt to higher costs and productivity challenges, as well as what opportunities investors are looking for in the current UK market. With Miles Sherry, investment consultant, Michael Hartig, Head of Specialist Teams Business Banking, Stephen Peters, Senior Fund Manager, and Will Hobbs, Chief Investment Officer. If you are new to investing, want to learn more about investing, or want tips on how to manage your long-term financial plans, check out our sister podcast channel, Money Plan, available on Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Welcome back to Word on the Street, and specifically our latest monthly UK roundtable where we just take a bit of a step back from the wider world and focus in on our home markets with a panel of various experts. And this month, we're very fortunate to again be joined by Michael Hartzig. He's kindly returning to us from the Business Bank to give us some precious insights into what the UK's small and medium-sized business community is doing and seeing. Stephen Peters is also back from our UK manager fund selection team to give us his perspective as an investor into these types of companies, which may, of course, differ a little bit from the perspective of a banker of these firms. And then last but not least, Will, um, our ever-present CIO is back as usual just to offer us whatever he can on the UK economy in particular at the moment. Now, I'm also aware there's still bags, to be frank, going on in Westminster, more than enough to fill an episode on its own, really. Olivia was, of course, chatting to us last week, and we'll get her back again soon in the future, no doubt. But Will, let me kick off with you today. It's been another busy old week in all things capital markets. Do you want to just start as ever setting the scene for us a little? We also touched briefly on sterling or more simply the pounds last week, didn't we? And I'm seeing that it's again fallen a fair bit more over the past five, six days or so with one pound now getting you roughly $1.25. I'm assuming that reflects a significant darkening in the UK's economic outlook relative to, to some of its international peers. Yeah, I think that's right, Miles. Hello, everybody. I'm afraid it was sort of, it was pretty, it looks to be down to a sort of reasonably nasty retail sales print last week that really confirmed to many that the UK is now entering those, those kind of economic rapids we've been talking about for some time now. Now, our colleagues at the Investment Bank have pointed out that quarter on quarter, because of the surge in you know, general prices we're seeing, alongside the fact that workers' compensation is nowhere near keeping pace um, with it, real disposable income is going to suffer its worst fall quarter on quarter in well over half a century. Now, that's a huge concern, obviously. And, and many now suggest that the market is you know, significantly suggesting, you know, wondering how many interest rate hikes the, uh, the economy can take in coming months. And basically, there's a reasonable view to suggest that the market's really overestimating the amount that interest rates will actually rise in the next 12 months, I think. Uh, these our colleagues at the investment bank uh, now only have this next interest rate hike coming in uh, the week ahead or expected to come in the week ahead and i think only one more over the summer and if that's a bit of a question mark so what you're now seeing is the market taking out those uh, or potentially taking out those interest rates or sterling taking out those interest rates now in the us i think at the same time you know you're seeing this i saw one forecast for nine or this is the market implied forecast uh, 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 nine, 25 
five basis point rate hikes priced for the next seven meetings, so potentially two fifty basis points on the trot. We've not seen anything like it. I was trying to say this to the internal meeting, showing how old I was, saying, well, we've not seen anything like it since Dexy's Midnight Runners were top of the charts with their uh, with their dance floor magnet. So it's, it's a long time since we've seen it, and I'm sure many viewers will hopefully get that. But China, on the other hand, just giving you the sort of full world tour, China, meanwhile, is, um, is limping along at the moment under the strain of its worst COVID outbreak since the start of the crisis. Europe, um, you know, it's a really complicated back- backdrop. That's what I'm trying to confirm. In Europe, you're seeing the rising concerns about gas supply. That was again on the on the stage this week, and the worries about the darkening economic effects that that would have for the for the outlook. So the point is, is it's just mega mega complicated. A common theme throughout this year. Um, we were all talking before we started recording this about this report that seems to be going around today. Who knows, of course, if it's true or not. But the Bank of England is expecting or at least hoping to get to 2.75% in terms of that interest rate point in the UK by the end of this year. Do, do you have any thoughts on that? Is Is that realistic? Well, yeah, as I just suggested, I think the point there is that it looks unlikely that the Bank of England will manage to get that far. Yes, the market is pretty much, you know, a, a rate hike uh, this week. 25 basis points is very much, just very much expected. But what comes after that? I mean, if the, if the economy slows as much as some are now expecting, will you need to, or will you want to push rates high much, that much higher? Like the market is saying they will, but many are starting to suspect that they won't. And I think that's probably one of the effects that you're seeing in sterling at the moment. Got it. Michael, this feels like a good time to, to bring you in and give us some perspective from, from the front line. Does all of this chime in with what you are hearing? Will can sometimes sound a little bit bleak, but are you seeing any bright spots out there? Well, listen, on the basis, I guess what I took away from Will on the basis is a good word is complicated. Because certainly, I guess if you look at the the backdrop up until a couple of months ago, the headline sentiment from our clients, uh, the SME clients, in in essence, and the business sector was still very positive, uh, both in terms of investment intentions and in terms of of sentiment, in effect. And we we haven't seen actually some of the the, the recent headwinds, be it the crisis in Ukraine and the conflict with Russia, actually feed through into some of those headline stats yet. Apart from the obvious one, which is inflation. So we're seeing that inflation. And I guess that our business clients are very much focusing on the themes they were focusing on previously, and there's still continue to be the themes in terms of things like staff retention, staff recruitment, inflation. Now, actually, some businesses are absolutely able to pass on the inflation increases they're seeing because there's a shortage in supply. So if they can get the supply, they can pass it on to the end users. But if we think about the others that are maybe exposed more to the consumer spend, and obviously, and if it, I think Will's talked about the impact on consumer spend. So if you're a if you're a hospitality and leisure business and your, and your energy costs have gone up, if you bear in mind that those aren't capped actually by the, the same way that they are for the individuals, in that case, in, in fact, if you're faced with double whammy, you're faced with the challenges in terms of a softening in terms of client demand, but also in effect some very significant price increases. So those people are having to, to really look at their business model and in terms of, of the way they pivot. But then also the, 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 the supply chain. I think the last couple of years have really highlighted how interconnected the global economy is. So people have to be really creative about sourcing locally if they can, or making sure they get the supplies they need, uh, be they from China. But even in a way, and if it, we, we, we've seen very much in terms of the dependency on the Ukraine and Russia for things like sunflower oil, etc. So actually, in fact, that's having a spike in other commodities as 
producers and the supply chain starts to pivot, really. So I know it sounds a bit like I'm copying Will and plagiarizing Will, but it feels complicated. <laughs> but the one thing I always do is to say, actually, business is very resilient. You know, we're used to challenges, we're used to headwinds, and we're seeing... And we're seeing our businesses really try and pivot to try and make sure they weather the storm as well. But to be honest, they could have done without the challenges. Yeah, no, absolutely. But really interesting insights. And Stephen, thinking about what Michael and Will have said, you know, this complicated backdrop has led to the start of the year being pretty rough on particularly small and medium-sized businesses from the perspective of their share prices. Now, to your mind, and I guess, you know, broadly speaking, the minds of the fund managers you speak to, and I know this is a general statement, are they thinking that's justified or are they maybe kind of stiffing out a, a bit of an opportunity there? Yeah, hi, Miles. It is It is very, it's mixed, uh, I think I'd say. The headlines probably are, or probably is, that first of all, the companies that, that the, the derating across medium and small size companies, the sell-off in the share prices, has been pretty indiscriminate. And it's been indiscriminate because the market is expecting higher inflation, which is bad for consumer spending. And so all of the names we've spoken about just now have all fallen sharply, many of which were on high valuations to start with. But the managers are seeing opportunities because it's been so indiscriminate, but companies are still reporting good operational results. What they're seeking to do is they're seeking to isolate and identify the good companies with good management options and back those as well as the ones that have unique idiosyncratic ways of benefiting from this or not not suffering so much from the current situation so for instance one manager i spoke to owns a couple of companies that operate in northern ireland and uh, they would the fund managers are telling me that those companies are actually not seeing the same level of wage inflation that maybe we're seeing elsewhere in the uk or in the UK, as they are in Northern Ireland. So it's those very, very unique situations. But it's clear that the market is and the market is a discounting mechanism and it is expecting weak consumer spending, hence the movement in share prices over the first three or four months of the year. Got it. And Michael, something I know you have been speaking to the, the business about is productivity. Now, this will have Will, to be frank, jumping, jumping up and down with excitement but we hear enough from you will on this so so try and refrain from chipping in but michael what sort of things are you seeing that, that these businesses are, are focused on yeah no certainly on the basis i suppose in effect if i don't realize how much of a hobby horse this was for will until i joined a few of these podcasts really <laughs> so uh, i sense he does love it and i sense he's he's dying to interject already so uh, we'll we'll try keep him i'm trying to the end, if that's quiet. okay listen <laughs> yeah. on the basis the other folks on this call will have some of the hard facts, and they've shared those in the past, just in terms of the UK productivity gap. And obviously, the business productivity gap was beginning to close, really, but recently it's back again. And and I guess there's lots of private sector and public sector intentions to sort of see how we can close the productivity gap, you know, in terms of skills, in terms of actually improving the skills base of the workforce we've got, in terms of retention of the workforce. But clearly, if we were also actually substituting a labor in effect rather than capital investment. So we now need to get into the capital investment cycle and really try and find a way of, of making sure our businesses invest for the future. And the government's tried it with some, um, some tax deductions for investments, etc. But we clearly need the, the confidence of the business community. And we also need those clear plans in terms of how the UK SMEs are going to really challenge and address their productivity gap. I guess the, the challenge we now face, actually, quite perversely, and at the risk of sounding like a broken record in terms of supply chain, is on the basis, as firms now sit down to look at how we can actually address the productivity gap in terms of capital investment, 
the one thing that's absolutely a challenge for them is availability. And so the firms that are wanting to start investing in capital investment are finding there's, there's real global shortfalls in terms of machinery or in terms of the investment they need. And I guess the, the, the best example I can, I can bring to life, in effect, it's a, both a consumer and a business example. Just think of the EV market, the electric vehicle market. If you're wanting to buy a van or a car at the moment, just think about the lead times in terms of some of those cars, given the, productivity, the, the, the production shortfalls and the semiconductor shortfalls. And that also applies into, into other machinery. So the intention's there. It's going to take a while to improve the productivity. And I'm sure that sort of world will chip in, really. But at the moment, we're facing an acute supply chain issue in that even if you wanted to invest in a thing, you have to wait a while actually for that investment to, 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 to become productive. Before Will tries to chip in, I'm actually going to go straight to you, uh, Stephen, because you must hear some interesting stuff on this subject uh, from managers. I know, for example, that some over the years have been talking about trying to find sort of the most innovative companies they think uh, are out there, which I guess in many ways is, is tied into all of this. Miles, before I answer that, can I just back up what Michael just said about EVs? I've just ordered uh, a new EV on a lease. I ordered it in March of this year. It's not expected to come until January next year, and I'm fully expecting it to be pushed back from then. So there is a a real-life example of, as you said, supply chain shortages, particularly in the chips market. But going back to the point on productivity, I mean, this is occasionally talked about by managers, However, what I would say is that fund managers do have a very strong tendency to become media experts in whatever is the hot topic of the day. So take it back a few years. They were all experts on you know, the Brexit vote and leave remain. They suddenly became absolute world leading knowledgeable people on Article 50, on the merits of prorogation, on oil prices, on geopolitics on supply chains. Now they're all experts on inflation uh, and consumer spending. So it's a long-winded way of saying that it's not massively talked about at the moment, but if it, as soon as it becomes the thing that everybody is talking about, the fund managers will be the world-leading experts to talk to for sure. Absolutely. And Will, clearly some very interesting insights there from Stephen and, and Michael and you've said a lot about this over the years but is there anything you want to chip in with in addition to that i don't think i will after all the abuse (laughs) (laughs) this this podcast no that was that was brilliant i thought that was an absolutely um yeah a compelling overview and i think you know i don't we don't want to also you know my introduction sounds so gloomy the the short-term outlook for the uk economy and the world economy is very complicated but I think it's still always, I always want to end on a positive note because I do believe that, you know, as you know, investing is about a longer term positivity, that things over time will get better, not necessarily calling it out on a sort of too precise a cyclical basis. And the reality is that the short term outlook for the world at the moment, as we know, is complicated uh, and we keep on saying it. But for investors, the key is to look beyond that, where, where you know, I think there's a still very rational case for an optimistic future where further technological gains further us forward. Couldn't agree more. And as ever, you and you and the wider team, of course, look to make those shorter term tactical tilts that we often talk about to, to take advantage potentially of any short term mispricings. But as you say, the, the, the key is really focusing on that long term piece. But look, we've, we've hit time there, so we'll wrap it up. Thanks again, Michael, for your time, Stephen and Will, too. We'll, uh, we'll speak again next week. All investments can fall as well as rise in value and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.